0: You are listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. All right, can you hear me? He was trying to say at this time, you're, the kids in the room, you just missed your own time of worship. You're muted. You didn't hear you. Oh, that's sad. But it's cool. We got it. All right. Hey, let the kids in the room know how much you care about them, how much you believe in them. Yeah. <clears throat> Man, um, I was sitting over there just worshiping with y'all. Uh, supposed to be like, you know, thinking about my little my message here, and all I could think about was just how. Um, uh, Beautiful and powerful, and, and what God is doing uh, across not just our church but across our city is, and how just thankful I am to get to be a part of that. Um, I, I feel like if I, if, I could, if I could summarize what I, what I, what I was thinking about, praying about over there, I, I feel like I'm a part of a of movement, not a gathering. Um, and there is a massive distinction between those two things. Uh, I've been a part of other things. Uh, you know, Christianity related that were, were gatherings. It was places where you gathered together and you observed something you, per, you know, at, your participation stopped at, at watching. And, uh, and oh, there's a place for that. Um, but by the spirit, like God's not building a, uh, a, a gathering called Oaks. It's called, I mean, it's, a, it's a movement of people um, doing exactly what Brian talked about, helping people j- step into a community um, that, proclaims the name of Jesus Christ first and foremost. And because of that, we're seeing people's lives change. I've seen my life changed by being a part of that community, that movement. Um, that's what we, talk, we set out. We talked about uh, what we wanted Oaks to be. We talked about wanting to see we be a part of, of a movement of God, not a, not a, not a gathering of people. Um, I don't know how you ended up here this morning, um, but I don't think it was necessarily by coincidence. This whole, this whole time in the Word this morning, we're going to be talking about coincidences. Coincidences. Um, I don't know how you got here, but I don't, I don't think it was by coincidence. Uh, I don't think it was coincidence how I got here. I grew up in Tuscaloosa. I talked about, like, after we left Tuscaloosa, I never thought we'd be back here. I told my parents we'd never be back here. I told my parents that when I said yes to ministry, it was saying no to home. Sorry, we're never going to live in town again. Well, we're back, you know? I, I, Brian, dude, just prayed on stage. I was his seventh grade small group leader, right? And when I moved away from Tuscaloosa, I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't think I'd ever get to hang out with Brian ever again. Here he's leading my leading, <laughs> helping leading worship in the church that we planted. That we didn't like. I don't think that's a coincidence. I remember when I when I. Um, I don't remember when I met Jessica actually. Jessica remembers when she's met me, but I don't remember when I met her. It's one of those kind of things. Just a, you know, baller move there. That just means I'm forgetful. Anyway, uh, so in seventh grade, Jessica, Jessica remembers me. I don't remember her, but and she just was kind of in each other's orbit until one day, just by coincidence, um, I walked into health class in 10th grade, um, and the only person I knew in there was this little blonde-headed girl named, named Jessica. So I went and sat by her and ended up spending the entire semester talking to her. I didn't learn anything about health. I don't think anybody learns anything about health in health, um, but... I was, I was just with her. I'm like, you are, I'm only really going to talk to you, okay? Like, that's, where, that's how this is going to go. And then we've been married, you know, 18 years or something. You know, that's just, I don't think that was by coincidence. I don't think, I, I just, I don't. When you think about your life and the things that are happening, like how you got here, how you got around the people that you're with, you know, how you ended up in Tuscaloosa at all, like, does it feel like it's a bunch of coincidence, a bunch of happy coincidences? And in some cases, some, some unhappy coincidences. Is it all just chance? Is it all just, you know, a series of events and things are transpiring? And some of them feel like twists, but really it's all just kind of happening. A lot of people, I mean, approach the world that way. That's, that's kind of their worldview. This is all just a one big long string of coincidences. But what if it's not? What if it's not all a string of coincidences? What if there's something going on behind the scenes This uh, morning we've been, um, we're looking at the book of Esther. Now we've been uh, walking through a series called The Whole Story. I met some of y'all who, uh, you're here this morning, happy coincidence, your kids are playing in a band thing at at Moody and you saw a sign, (laughs) you know, and you're like, okay, (laughs) let's go, right? So uh, so we've been walking through a series called The Whole Story. We started in Genesis, we're walking all the way to the the book of Revelation, um, covering the entirety of the story of what God is doing in and around the world, His creation, and we've, we've kind of hit the low point. The last couple of weeks, we saw uh, Judah fall. We saw the people in her exile. And it seems like it was just this, this moment with no hope. And then you get to the book of Esther. Now, Esther is an interesting book because, uh, well, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. Let me just give you the context. Let me remind you where we are, just in case you've been following along. So this is after the, the Babylonian exile. This is after Judah fell. This is after all the people have been taken out of the land, it, it, the northern kingdom, Israel. They've been conquered, right? A hundred years after Judah falls. It's a long time. 100 years after Judah falls, uh, there's in this, this, the book of Esther is written in the context of a Jewish community still living in exile after 100 years. They've started to acclimate. they started to kind of like, you know, things have changed. Actually, a lot of things have changed. In the 100 years after this, the Babylonian kingdom actually fell to the Medes and the Persians. And now it's ruled by this guy named Ahasuerus, who's better known to you as Xerxes, like the Xerxes all of you have heard of. He's the king of the story. And Xerxes ends up, you know, conquers the Babylonian Empire. Now he's inherited all these Jewish people running around. And, like, they just, they just, he didn't conquer them, but now he's over them. So they're not like a big priority. Um, they're just kind of in the background, a little forgotten, which is how a lot of us feel. Esther's unique in the Bible for one big reason um, God is never mentioned. In the entire book of, the, of Esther, in like a book of the Bible, never mentions the name of God. Now, that isn't because he's not active. What I think is happening, I think, I think the, the author of the book of Esther is doing something brilliant. He's inviting me and you to, to, to look for, to assess, to try to discern if God is really active in the stories that we walk through. If God is active when it seems like there's no, if God is active, if he's there and doing anything in the background, or if God is just distant, forgotten, oblivious, and ambivalent to the stuff that you and I are going through. The book of Esther causes you to have to wrestle with that. Is God distant? Is God ambivalent? Is God just not care? Is God given up? Is he just walked away? Or is God still working even behind the scenes in the lives of his people? In your life, what do you normally attribute things to? Do you you attribute things to, to chance? When things happen, when you run into somebody randomly at the grocery store you haven't seen in years, like, do you attribute those things to chance or to maybe something deeper, something more profound? Most of us, I mean, we we chalk it up to coincidence. We tell funny stories about coincidences, and I just couldn't believe this happened. It's in the right exact moment. Like, we tell stories about coincidence. But when you stop, you look back. You can see maybe there was something else going on. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take a look back over the life of Esther and the life of the people of God living in that time frame. And I want to see, I want you to discern, I want you to try to figure out if you think this is all coincidence or if there's something deeper, something more profound going on. In the same way, I want you to have a moment this morning to look back over the sequence of events of your life and see if you think all of that was a coincidence or if something greater was going on. So let's look back at the life of Esther. Now, I'm covering the entire book of Esther this morning, okay? So we can't read all of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through a lot of it, like tell it to you, like tell you how it went down. We're going to read chunks of it, but like we got to move if we're going to cover the, an entire book of the Bible this morning, okay? Next week we got to cover two, so come back for that. It's going to be great. All right, so chapters one and two, this is how it goes down. It starts off, it introduces you to the king of Persia. You got, you know, they call him Ashuerus, but we know him as, as Xerxes. He is not the brightest guy in the world, okay? He's basically a drunk um, who's in charge of a kingdom. Perfect, right? So he goes and throws a huge party in chapter one, gets just completely wasted, and then decides to tell his wife, the queen, to come out and uh, show off for everybody there, show off her beauty, which goes about as well as any other wife in the room would do. Like if you're at a Super Bowl party later and your husband gets a little plastered and is like, hey girl, do a spin. You're not doing that. You know what I'm saying? That's exactly how this goes down. The queen's like, no. All right? King's drunk. He doesn't know what's, what's, which way's up in the moment. So in a drunken fit, he banishes her. It's like, fine, you ain't queen no more. It's a super functional family. All right, like they're doing great. So he banishes the queen, like scene one. And then <laughs> Brilliant decides to throw a beauty contest to get a new queen. It's the best way to choose a wife ever. It's this literally the plot of The Bachelor. Like this is, what, <laughs> this is what's happening. It's a beauty contest to find a new queen. And we'll just parade them by, we'll them, bring them through in limos, you know. And at the end of the day, we got whoever wins, you know, whoever's the least terrible, queen. Boom. So that's what they do. So here, at this point in the story, the author introduces a Jewish man named Mordecai. Now, Mordecai, it says that he and his family had been taken into exile out of Jerusalem. And so, like, he is, he's a refugee. And it says that he's been raising his, his, his niece as his daughter because both of her parents had passed away. And so he's raising this, this niece, and her name happens to be Esther. So Esther enters the story, this orphan girl being raised by her uncle, a, a, a family of refugees living in, in captivity in Persia. So the beauty contest has to ensue, and so the, you know, the show directors, they have to go out and they have to round up some people to be on the cast, right? And so they run around to find all the most beautiful women they can find in the kingdom and, uh, and basically round them up for this beauty pageant. Now, this is not a choice. They were, they were put into custody, something to think about. So Esther ends up being taken as well. And so she's put into this contest and she she ends up hiding her Jewish identity, ends up winning the contest and now she is crowned the new queen of the kingdom. This orphan girl ends up (laughs) uh, queen. Now that's fine, I guess. It sounds, it's a nice little story. It's a little like Pretty Woman or something. You know, it's kind of like Netflix meets Pretty Woman. It's, 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 but it doesn't have any significance for the whole story. It just seems like a random occurrence, right? It's this random thing, this random girl happens to be there, she gets picked, she she ends up in this contest, ends up winning, and now randomly she's king. Happy coincidence. But it just so happens. It just so happens that right after that, Uncle Mordecai, he's been sticking close, as a good uncle would, right? He's sticking close, trying to make sure she's okay, checking on her. He's sticking close to things. He's hanging around the city, and one day he overhears some guards, some, some eunuchs that are there. They're talking about plotting to overthrow the king. They're plotting against the king, and he overhears it. He goes and tells Esther, who's now the queen. She goes and tells the king, Xerxes, and on Mordecai's behalf and says, My Uncle Mordecai sent word that the, there's some people that are trying to overthrow you. So it's investigated and it's found out to be true. So Mordecai ends up saving the king's life by coincidence. He's in the right place, right time. Happy coincidence, just so happened. And it says that that event was recorded in their record books. They kept like really specific records, right? I showed you pictures of some of the Babylonian records last week on those, on those tablets. Like they wrote it in the records that Mordecai had saved the king's life. Now that's fun too, right? It's a nice little story. Not a giant deal, though, in light of the whole story. It's just, you know, happy coincidence king doesn't get murdered, right? Why is that in the Bible? Let's keep going, all right? Sometimes later, a little bit while later, the king ends up elevating this guy named Haman to the number two position in all the kingdom. All right? Ends up elevating this guy, Haman. So the king is still a drunk, and Haman is this puffed-up megalomaniac, kind of like crazy guy who thinks he is all-important in the world. He ends up commanding everyone that when he walks by that they all have to kneel before him. Who does that? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's intense. When I walked by in the kingdom, everyone kneels. He's just like walking by and everybody's like, oh, my goodness. You know, like, oh, he turns around, comes back. Oh, he forgot something. He got to kneel again. Like, just annoying. Mordecai. Mordecai won't do it. Everybody else does it. But Mordecai, this one guy, he's like, no. I identify with that so well. Like, I'm like, no, not, not kneeling before this random dude. Not doing it, right? Just says no. Now, it, Haman is furious about that. It, like, just, like, it just gets under his skin. Everybody else is willing to bow down to me. Except this one guy, and that one guy's just a thorn in the flesh, can't get over it, just drives him crazy. Finds out that Mordecai is Jewish. And so he, he has a plan. Comes up with this plan to get rid of Mordecai. By by. by essentially leading or manipulating the king to eradicate, annihilate all the Jews in the kingdom. This is what happens in Esther chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Then Haman said to King Ashuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. Because they have the law of God, right? And it says they don't keep the king's laws. So that it's not to the king's profit to tolerate them. Basically, he says, like, you've got this insidious people who aren't following your rules. You know, he's like, he's sowing fear. So in verse 9, he says, if it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they all be destroyed. I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charged the king's business, the murderers, that they may put it into the king's treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman the Agite, son of that person. The enemy of the Jews. (laughs) And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. This drunk king's like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Let's eradicate some people. The date for their eradication was decided by the rolling of some dice. These dice were called poor. And so by the roll of a dice, a date was set. All Jews would die 11 months later. Esther chapter three, verse 13 says this, that letters were sent by couriers to all the king's providences with instructions to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young and old women and children in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar and to plunder their goods. A copy of that document was issued as a decree in every providence by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. Hey everybody, we get ready to murder some folks. Women, children, everybody, we're all, gonna, we're all just going to murder some people this day. You have to, by the way, it's a proclamation, it's a decree. So the couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel, and the king Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. It's been a hundred years since these people have been a part of this community. They're, they're integrating into the community. They're a part of things, right? They're the lowest level of that community, but they're still a part of this. And like, what in the world? Why? Why? Well, it's because this one guy couldn't stand for this other guy not to bow to him. It looks like there's no hope. They, like, the king's decrees and this time like, were irrevocable. You couldn't change them. He couldn't change them. So once this thing is signed and sent, you can't take it back. This is going to be carried out. Just, think about it, just imagine like, how you would feel knowing your whole family, every one of your people was going to be eradicated in 11 months. And there was nothing that anyone, including the person who made the decree, could do about it. It's like there's no hope. Mordecai tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth. He's in mourning. He should be. There is no hope here. But wait, remember, through this weird coincidence, the queen, Esther, is Jewish. Through that random coincidence, that weird sequence of events and the bachelorette thing happening, right? Like, so Mordecai gets word to her about what's going on. And basically, like, begs of her to try to do something. Doesn't know what she could do, but do something. And basically, she says, I can't. I can't just go walking into the king's presence. Remember what happened when the, king do a, or the queen wouldn't do a spin? Right? Like, this doesn't go well. You can't just walk into the king's presence. You have to be invited. And that hadn't been invited in a month. So Mordecai reminds her that she's going to end up being killed as well. And then he says something really important. Look at 4, chapter 4, verse 12. Tell Mordecai what Esther said, that she basically was, she was scared. So Mordecai told him to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that even in the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. It's just a hint about what happens later. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, right. And he says this, It says, but you and your father's house will perish. It says, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? Maybe. Who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Verse 14, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance arrives to the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Don't eat or drink for these three days, night or day. I, am a young woman, will also fast as you do. Then I'll go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. All right, so you see three, three things happening. First, Mordecai tells her, like, she's not immune to the danger. She's not immune to the danger either. So, like, before you set Esther up as the hero of the story, think about her motivation here. She's not willing to go into the presence of the king because it, it might cost her life until Mordecai tells her, like, hey, I just want you to know, like, you're going to get wiped out too. Esther's not the hero of the story. Esther's also working just like for her own good and the people, right? But it's, it's a lot of her too. She's not trying to serve the Lord or something. She's just doing the only thing she can do to save herself. And if it saves the people too, great. That's not the, like, that's not wrong of course, but from her perspective, this is just life or death stuff. She's not making some like brave, you know, Step in, in obedience to like God's calling on her life, or something. She's just trying to figure out what do you do in a life or death situation. God isn't mentioned in this; He's not a factor here. Second, notice what Mordecai says will happen if she doesn't do anything. He says, "If you keep silent, relief and deliverance will come rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish." There's a glimmer of hope there. There's something in Mordecai that's confident that that somehow, some way. At some point in the future, like, God is going to show up that something's going to happen here. He's thinking, like, there's this confidence. Even if this all goes south, if Esther won't risk her life to save others, deliverance would still come one day. For those of us on this side of the cross, like, our perfect, final, lasting deliverance did come. Not from a person, not just, like, from random sequence of events, but in, in the Son of God. And Jesus Christ, who came, willingly gave his life. Not like I had to get tricked into giving his life, you know, like as you are having to do here, but like, like willingly stepped in to give his life for people like us. to Deliver me and you from sin and death and restore us to the Father. There's a glimmer of hope there. Third thing, like notice that Mordecai wonders aloud if it's just a coincidence. Verse, four, uh, verse 14b, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He's just wondering, like, Maybe this isn't merely a coincidence. Maybe it's not merely a coincidence that you were taken. Maybe it's not merely a coincidence that you. Maybe it's not merely a coincidence that somehow this orphan girl, like in you know refugee orphan girl, has ended up as the queen of the whole kingdom. Maybe that's not just a coincidence. Might be. Might be. But it might not. God's not named here. He didn't part a sea here. He didn't send a prophet. There's no like, you know, fireworks thing happening to make sure that they know this is from God. A lot of us like, well, we want to sit back and wait. We want to sit back and wait and say like, God, if you will skywrite this thing for me, I will move. And this, there's nothing here. God, if you send a sign in advance and make it absolutely clear that I'm called to talk to them or go to there or whatever, like, then I will do that. But until you give me that sign with that level of clarity, I'm out. God's not named here. He didn't whisper a word. But there was a point of action to be taken. And it's really based on whether these people, Brother Esther, thought all this was an accident or not. I love that question. Who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom at such a time as this? Do you think you you, you are where you are by coincidence? Like, Like, do you... Or could it be that God has you where you are for such a time as this as well? Like, like when you think about like being in this city, a lot of you did not intend to be in Alabama, let alone Tuscaloosa. This is not part of your plan, right? You had a plan. It was a great plan. It's an awesome plan, and now you're here. And you're like, um, <laughs> right? Coincidence? Like in your office, your workplace, your job, you, I mean, yeah, you, you gotta make a living, whatever. You interviewed at some places, these people took you, pay was all right, is that it? Is a coincidence that you're there to, you know, that you're sitting next to those people, working with those people, spending eight hours a day with those people, is that just a coincidence? In this church, like a part of Oaks, not in this room, but like a part of the, the people that make up our church, like, Some of you, man, the the stories of you ended up being a part of this thing, wild. I can't tell how many people I meet who are part of Oaks. Several people who've like trusted Christ as their Savior and like serving and and, like doing all kinds of stuff because they saw some chalk on the ground one day. Like, is that coincidence that you walk that way and that somebody randomly decided to invite you to church with chalk? Coincidence? Probably a coincidence. Yeah. Is it a coincidence that you're in that dorm, on that hall, or on that group project with those people? Is that a coincidence? Is it a coincidence that you're in this room this morning? Somebody invited you last night, a couple of days ago. You had no intention of going. But you got up. You, couldn't, you woke up early, which never happens, right? And you're here. Is that a coincidence? Maybe. Maybe. Esther saw that there was a, a, a decision to make, a life or death decision, and so she decided to act and she sets a plan in motion. So here's what she does She goes into the king, risking her life to go before the king, right? And so she comes in, and she isn't killed just for showing up. Great, you know, step one complete. Is that a coincidence? Anyway, she invites the king and Haman, the crazy guy, she invites them to dinner. That's the grand plan. She invites them to dinner. And they're like, Yeah, sure, we'll go to dinner. And the dinner goes really well, and so the king's like, "Hey, what, what, what can we do? Like, what do you want? Like, I mean, I want to give you a gift. What do you want?" She's like, "I just want you to come to dinner tomorrow too. Bring Haman." Like, okay, we'll go to dinner tomorrow. They got two dinners in a row. It's great. Haman's elated. That guy's like losing his mind about it. He's like beside himself. He's dinner buddies with the king and queen. He's like the happiest third wheel ever. You know, he's just he's he's here for it, man. Like me and the king and queen, we're bros. He goes skipping out of the dinner like just, yeah, just happy as he could be happiest moment of his life goes skipping out of dinner with the king and queen and runs right into mordecai <laughs> oh and he's just hot all over he is like this one guy like i'm the third wheel of the king and queen but there's this one guy who won't kneel for me so he decides to get this guy handled right like, if I can just get this one thing handled, my life will be perfect. decides to get this guy handled. So that night, he goes and tells some people. a has a stake, a giant stake set up at his house to kill Mordecai on the next day. It's 75 feet tall. You mad? Like, you can do a normal size stake. It works the same. 75 feet tall stake at his house, you know, uh, for Mordecai. Again, it looks like there's no way out. It's one of those hopeless situations. Haman's number two in the land. Nobody can tell Haman what to do or not to do except the king, and he's a drunk, right? Like, he don't care, right? So it looks like it's, it's over for Mordecai. No hope. This is it. This is the end. There's no way out. Do you have situations and things in your life that seem hopeless? I know people that are, I know people here who are, hopelessly drowning in addiction i know people here whose marriage marriages seem hopelessly fractured i seem i I know a lot of people who just seem like hopelessly like oppressed with depression and anxiety people hopelessly far from the lord like i don't know how i get back to him from where i am i don't like surely he don't want nothing to do with me like you got some hopelessness stuff you got some things in your life that just seem hopeless what's yours a lot of us have those. What's yours? What in your life seems beyond redemption, just beyond hope? Maybe you've asked God to move. You, maybe you've, ha- you've gotten to a point where you're willing to, like, bring that before the Lord. And so you're, like, you've prayed about it. Like, God, I don't know how in the world you could fix this. It all seems beyond hope. But, like, if you're there, you ever prayed those prayers? If you're there, would you help? It doesn't seem like God's showing up. There's been no skywriting. There's been no sun. There's no angels appearing. There's no seas parting. Like, where are you at? I I wanted you to snap and fix it. Why won't you show up? You feel forgotten by him sometimes. In those no hopes kind of moments, you feel forgotten by him. Does he feel like distance and unaware, oblivious, ambivalent to what's going on in your life? Like, I wonder if Mordecai felt like that. God's not named in the story. It doesn't doesn't seem like. It doesn't appear to anybody that God is showing up. And there's no huge display. There's no prophet riding in like Jeremiah, Isaiah, explaining to the people what's going on behind the scenes. Nothing. He's just on his own. And that night, it looked like there was no hope. For Mordecai, for all the Jews, this whole situation is utterly hopeless. There is no way out. But. It just so happened. That night, the king couldn't sleep. It's not a big deal, right? I can't sleep either, you know? But that night, the king couldn't sleep. It just so happened the king couldn't sleep that night. Esther 6.1 says, on that night, the king couldn't sleep. And so he wanted a bedtime story. He gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles of Narnia. And they were read before the king. Just so happened the king couldn't sleep. And he's like, you know what? Let's read some good stories. So orders somebody to bring the book, and they're just, oh, okay, flips open, you know, any of you have kids, it's the exact same as you just it's the drunk king, right? But it's not, you know, it's the same thing. And it just it just so happened, it just so happened that they turned to the story of how Mordecai had saved his life he totally forgotten about that, right? You got some friends who totally forget about some stuff? That's this guy. He's like, whoa, for real? Like, yeah, that guy. Esther 6, 3, the king said, well, what, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai? Like, surely I did something, right? I, just, I, I gave the guy some gold or something. Like, I did something, right? And they're like, the king's young men who attended him said, no, nothing's been done for him. And the king's like, well, we got to do something about that, Right? The guy saved my life. I forgot to do anything about it. We got to send him a card, get an Amazon, get, you know, something, right? And so he says, all right, so who, who's, in, who's in the court right now? Who's, who's out there in the court? And it just so happened, verse 4b, it says, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hung on the gallows that he had prepared for him. He's skipping in. He's going to go get the drunk old king to sign a death warrant. He's ready to get to murdering some people that morning, get on about his day. It's going to be great. Couldn't be more excited. King says, hey, who's out in the court right now? Somebody's out there like we got to get this taken care of. And they're like, oh, Haman Haman just walked in. He's like, great, go get him. Verse 5 says, the king's young men told him, Haman's in there standing in the court. King said, yeah, let him come in. So Haman came in. This is great. King says to him, Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman says to himself, well, who would the king be Uh, delighting to honor more than me right he's thinking to himself he's asking about me he's asking me what he should do for me it's kind of like when you ask your wife what she wants for Christmas exactly like that right so he's like okay and so Haman said to the king well hey yeah for the for the man whom the king delights to honor let royal robes be brought which the king has worn that's a little weird And to the horse that the king has written, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. He like really, I mean, he's like, you got to let everybody know that I'm awesome, Right? Then the king said to Haman, all right, sounds great. Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you've said, and do so uh, to this guy named Mordecai. You know Mordecai? Go get all that stuff you just said and go find a guy named Mordecai. I think he's Jewish, all right? And uh, who sits? he's at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you've mentioned. So the king's official that has to like walk him around, parade him around, proclaim to the whole kingdom like... This guy's awesome, like Haman, <laughs> Haman, has to, verse 11, Haman took the robes and the horse. Let's think about this poor man's face, right? Took the robes and the horse, dressed Mordecai. Think about Mordecai's face. Let him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Do you think all that was a coincidence? That's a lot of coincidences. That's a lot of coincidence for you to be here. It's a lot of coincidences for you to have or heard the gospel. It's a lot of coincidences for you to be in the places that you've been placed in this city and around our campus. The family you grew up in, the kids that you've got, like the sports teams your kids are a part of. You know, it's a coincidence. might have been. Because, I mean, like God didn't send any plagues here. There's no cloud riding, nothing concrete. It might have just been a coincidence. might have been a lot of coincidences, right? might have been. And the author's just like, what do you think? You think it was a bunch of coincidences? In your life, do you think it's all coincidence? So like, where, where, where is God? And i like, well, I just feel like God's up me. Like, Do you think all this is a coincidence? Next day, Mordecai's, I mean, the Mordecai thing's over. Haman's furious. But the next day, they got to have the second, you know, second dinner together. So in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, so the king and Haman... They went into feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What's your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. What's your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we'd been sold for merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ashuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther says a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs and attendants of the king, said, Moreover, there's these. 75-foot-tall gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, standing in Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, great, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he would prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. What do you think? Coincidence? Had God forgotten his people? Had God forgotten Mordecai? Had God just, like, he's just, like, off somewhere, unaware? Or is the holy and righteous and sovereign and all-powerful God of the universe at work behind the scenes for the good of his people and for the glory of his name? It's one of those two things. In the days that follow, they still have to deal with the king's decrees for all the Jews to be killed. So the king ends up making a second decree that they can also defend themselves against anyone who would attack them. Mordecai ends up being elevated to second in command of the kingdom. And the, the enemies of God's people end up being destroyed on the day that God's people were supposed to be destroyed. They instituted an annual feast called Purim, Purim to commemorate what had happened. It comes from that term, those dice, Purim. It's a festival called Purim. Now when they celebrate Purim, do you think that they celebrated a bunch of happy coincidences? Or the God who was working in his sovereignty behind the scenes always? And these seemingly random occurrences, these things that couldn't write, you couldn't script, just seemed like a bunch of, what do you think they celebrated? God may appear absent in the things that you're walking through, God may appear absent in the things that you are walking through, in your struggle and in your pain and in your trials, but I just need you to hear this morning that nothing could be further from the truth. He is not absent. He is not unaware. He is not ambivalent to the things that his people are walking through. So my prayer for you, my encouragement to you, like out of the book of Esther, is to trust him, to pray to him, to lean on him, to put your faith in him, to draw near to him because he is not distant. He is not done. He's not absent. For some of you, it may appear as if you are where you are by accident. Whether if it's, it's in your city, if it's in this campus, if it's in this church, if it's in this room this morning, or maybe, just maybe, that is not just an accident. It is not just a coincidence that God has you here for such a time as this. And if He has you here for such a time as this, then there is work to be done. Even when there's no sky riding, even when there's not absolute clarity about what the next step would be, there's faithfulness to be walked in as long as you are here for His name, for His glory, and the good of His people. What it comes down to for me and you, especially for us in the room that are Christians, like we have to decide, like, we're going to take opportunities that come up in just the random things of life. We have to decide that we're going to take those opportunities that come up, not as coincidences, but as a divine appointments. When you run into that person randomly in the grocery store you haven't seen in a year, when you're walking on campus and you see somebody that you had a class with a few years ago or whatever, when like somebody brings up a, that you're struggling with something in your workplace, when your kid has a question at 9 30 at night and you're really tired, but they're asking something that may give it a gospel opportunity, like you can take those as random coincidences or you can take them as divine opportunities. What will you do? Because you can ignore a coincidence. you're not a Christian, my, 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 I just think I want to set before you. I, I just want to ask, like, is it a coincidence? Do you think it's a coincidence that you're here this morning? This whole, this whole story that's been about, it's, it's the whole story is a, is a story of God bringing about a plan to rescue and redeem a people to himself for their good, but also for his glory. Like that's the whole story. You stand in the line of that story, a story of God working to bring about a plan to rescue his people to restore people back to himself, to, to take away their sins so they could draw near to him again, to be restored to their God, their Savior, the one that they were made from, like we're the, this, the place of all hope and joy and peace. On this side of the cross, like the way that he accomplished that was by sending his son to come get in between the wrath that you and I had earned for ourselves, to give his life willingly, not to hope to save his life, but to give his life willingly as a sacrifice to pay for all of your sins. The rose from the grave three days later so that you could have eternal life, a new life in him to be the first one to make life possible forever. Offered all of that up as a gift to people like me and you. Jesus made it possible for you to have a gift of forgiveness, a new life, life eternal, restoration with his life, a new heart, like hope and peace and joy, a God to lean on. Like he did all of that, packaged it up as a gift, set it before you. And is is it a coincidence For you to be here this morning to hear that. Think about everything that had to transpire to get you here, to be able to hear that. For me to hear it from someone else, to be able to pass it on to you. For your tribe leader to have been passing it on to you for the past few weeks. For your huddle leader, for somebody to meet you in the quad or somebody to meet you in your your workplace. Like, Is it all just a series of coincidences or is God doing something? Is God setting about a story to draw you back to himself, to save you, restore you, to give you a new life? I don't think it's a coincidence. You have to decide if you're gonna treat it like a coincidence, or if you're gonna treat it like a divine opportunity. Our band's gonna come, they're gonna lead us in a time of response, and there's a few ways I want you to be thinking about how to respond. We close every service of a time of response. Again, this is not just a, a gathering, this is a movement. Movements take action, all right? And so I'm praying that you would think through what your next step's gonna be. I know there's people moving around, that's distracting. Some of the people moving around our Next Steps team, our prayer team, they're moving to the back to be able to pray with you. All right, that's why they're there. And so there's some of you in the room who have been feeling like God has forgotten you. You've been walking through some stuff and it seems like God is completely absent. I just just wanna encourage you to go step back there and talk to somebody about that and just get somebody to pray with you. Pray with, like, just to have somebody pray with you and encourage your heart in the things that you're walking through. Let them pray for you and come back to your seat. I don't think that's a coincidence they're there. Some of you um, are, are maybe thinking and reckoning God's tugging on your heart that the places he's put you are not by accident. And there's maybe some next steps, some actions that you're feeling called to take in the context that he's put you in. You've been praying about, God, what do you want me to do? And he's setting some stuff before you this morning. Things that are set before you, not as coincidence, but as... Opportunities. I'd love for you to go back there find somebody the next steps and just say, hey, I, would you pray for me to, to do what God's called me to do in this context? Would you pray for me to be faithful to what God's set before me even if I don't know the whole plan? That's scary stuff. It's like future stuff. Go pray with them about those things. But some of you were here this morning through a random sequence of events to hear that Jesus loved you enough to die for you and offer you salvation as a gift not for you to earn, not for you to clean yourself up for, but as a gift. I don't think it's a coincidence you're here to hear that. And so I want to invite you. and Our band leads us to step back there, go talk to one of those people and say, look, I don't think it's a coincidence I'm here. Can we talk about this, who this Jesus is and, and what it would mean for me to trust him? Got a lot of questions, but could we talk? I'd love to talk with you there's a good chance there's gonna be a little bit of a line back there, all right? Stand in it, all right? There's worse things. If you've invited, somebody invited you here, like you got a friend or something, you can go grab them by the hand and say, hey, let's go talk, like you can do that too. Some of you just need to stay in your seat, you need to pray through the things that God's laid in your heart, but all of us have a point of action. Are you gonna take the day? Are you gonna take the moment? Are you gonna take this life? Are you gonna take this city and the campus? Are you gonna take all of that as a coincidence or as a divine opportunity for you to step into and act? How are you going to respond? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that for me and every one of us in this room, that we would would approach um, life not as a series of fortunate or unfortunate events. I don't think all this is a coincidence. God, I pray that you would show us the divine opportunities that you're placing before us. I, I pray that you would encourage those of us who are, seem like feel like we're walking through struggle alone. I pray that you would call those of us who have never trusted you as Savior to salvation. God, I pray that you would just move us to action, trusting that this isn't a coincidence, but an opportunity. God, you took action to come for us. To die for us, to rescue us, to save us. Let us take action as well. Senior sons, there, I pray, Amen and Amen. Why don't you stand? Next step is open. You respond how you feel it. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.